Council. I'm, I'm, well, I'm glad and excited that we have the opportunity to <clears throat> have a significant portion, even to this point, of our congregation worship uh, remotely, online, through a, for a host of reasons or whatever. I'm just telling you, if you were here this morning, you can testify. It just doesn't match being in the room together. Um, that was amazing job, worship team. Um, that was fantastic. Um, I enjoyed having a week off last week. I'm thankful for uh, Mike Kruger being able to come here. She did a great job. I listened to it uh, online, and she was fabulous as always. She's a fantastic missionary, isn't she? She just does a great job, so <clears throat> thankful to her. But with that being said, I'm excited to get back to Jonah this week. And, uh, yeah, you see the title, God's Judgment. So what's your first thought when I tell you today as a sermon about fearing God, about God's judgment of sinners? <clears throat> How do you feel about sermons centered on the topics of hell and God's eternal judgment? Back in my Southern Baptist days, we called that hellfire and brimstone. But those kind of sermons are quite rare these days. Maybe you can get them in a Baptist church in the hills of West Virginia, but not very much here in Sarasota. The wrath of God has become one of the most neglected doctrines in sermons today, at least in America. That's because most people are afraid to even talk about it. As a matter of fact, many will go to great lengths to keep God's wrath out of their sermons. They avoid whole passages on hell and judgment. The question is, what should we believe about fearing God? How should a true believer handle that part of the gospel message? And yes, judgment is a part of the gospel message. People seem to forget that. Should God be feared as well as worshipped? I mean, could our God really be so mean as to threaten to judge sinners? <clears throat> when sharing the love of Jesus and the gospel with others, should we shy away from talking about his judgment? Is it possible that if we preach judgment, that it's manipulation, using fear to scare people into repentance? Shouldn't we just, if we really want true conversions, shouldn't we just focus on love and mercy and forgiveness and grace? Today, I have a very critical swimming lesson for you. How important fearing God really is if you want a life of true repentance and true worship. So let's go to Jonah chapter 3. You only have a few more messages in this series, if you believe it. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Starting with verse 1 of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. This is after he's been spit out of the whale. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Go, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, Three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out 
Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's his message. Wow. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. <clears throat> the word reached the king of Nineveh and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through, uh, through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flocks taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God, that everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that it is in his hands. Let me read that again. From the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. <clears throat> well, there you go. Historically, I want to talk about the fact that we have a prophet here who is preaching judgment. And I want to say this is part of Jonah's repentance, right? And we see miles of repentance. Jonah's miraculous Heavenly confession that started in the whale. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. It spawns immediate repentance. He goes straight to Assyria, the capital, which is Nineveh. Don't be fooled by how short the passage is about his ministry. It likely took months, maybe years. <clears throat> it's not a week-long foreign missions trip like we do in churches today with vacation elements mixed in for fun. Jonah's there for a while. He's crisscrossing the city, preaching about judgment and repentance. We know this because one day's walk in the ancient world was actually measured by about 18 miles. That's what they said a one day's walk would take. So that makes Assyria about 54 miles wide. And as a matter of fact, the dimensions of ancient Assyria have been verified by modern archaeological evidence. This is a massive city. It would take him a while. Jonah's repentance was not convenient, church. It was not cost-free. It did not easily fit into his current life plans. As a matter of fact, Jonah's repentance is the exact opposite. Now, there was an aspect of his repentance that he probably enjoyed. Even in his repentance, I imagine Jonah still enjoyed preaching about God judging this pagan nation that he hated. More on this next week. But imagine his passion for this message of judgment on the Assyrians. I'm sure that his message, you know, when God says he's going to judge the Assyrians, a Jew would say, that's a good message right there. He's motivated. He's articulate. He's clear. He's passionate. Jonah's holding nothing back. He's preaching to people he doesn't really like a message of God's judgment if they don't confess and repent. He's preaching judgment and the command to repent just as God told him. <clears throat> and in the end, he was certain God would judge his enemies. Jonah had a passion for this message because he had high hopes the results would be what he wanted, that there would be no repentance. He has just experienced what God is capable of doing 
to ensure those he has called to repentance. Hear his voice, did he not, from the whale? But right now, he's enjoying the best of both worlds. He's enjoying obedience with a message he believes is in harmony with his political and patriotic worldview. Israel first, Nineveh second, God likes us more, we're the special country, and God has given me a message that says he is going to judge this pagan nation next door. This is good stuff. But then there are unexpected results. Something terrible happens for Jonah. The people of Nineveh, the scripture says, believe God. And they join Jonah in repentance. Now Jonah is repenting by preaching, and they are repenting by repenting. (laughs) This was more than just merely them deciding to believe in God, which so many in the world today are willing to admit they do. That's nothing. Their repentance wasn't symbolic. Unfortunately, many Christians, maybe their so-called Christians, are very good at symbolic repentance. No, this pagan repentance went much deeper, as documented in this passage. Fear of God's judgment inspired the Ninevites to ask for forgiveness personally, corporately as a nation, and it's characterized with significant action. And it wasn't limited to certain segments of society. Everyone repents. Even the king himself is repenting. They changed how they dressed, how they worshiped, who they worshipped, their core values. This was a deep, lasting repentance. In fact, there are, in fact, some archaeological evidences of the fact that there was a time when Assyria, Nineveh, became and turned into having a very Jewish culture. Archaeology supports the story of Jonah. Take that, atheists. In case you didn't believe the whale story. I want to talk about the spiritual section. What about God? What does he do and how does he do it? I've entitled this section Fear and Wisdom. First of all, I want to talk about part of the plan. Yes, Jonah is shocked and surprised in a bad way by the Ninevites' repentance, but God certainly wasn't surprised. See, many... Many Christians think Jonah is the central part of this story, but he's not. He's actually an ancillary ancillary character. Did I say that right? The story of Jonah is about God's love of a pagan nation. God's love for Nineveh was the whole reason we have a story of Jonah. God's love for Nineveh is why God is so patient with Jonah in the first place. You see, God always had intended for Nineveh to believe and repent just as he intended Jonah to repent and to preach to them. God was never going to allow Jonah's prophetic disobedience to derail his plan to bring a nation to repentance. But we see that God is certainly a God of judgment. You know, a popular theological belief, a popular theological phrase today among many Christians is that God is a God of love. Well, of course that's true. But there's another side to God that is neglected. 
You know, the Ninevites didn't repent because Jonah's message was seeker-sensitive. It wasn't a message just focused on love or this universal salvation stuff you hear out of a lot of churches. They didn't repent because of a well-produced worship concert or a seminar with healings and emotion and compassion. There's none of that in Jonah's message. They repented because of an unfiltered message about fearing God's judgment. You might ask, why would God do that? It just seems so mean. Why couldn't he bring Nineveh to repentance with just love? Why couldn't God show he is real through generous miracles and glorious signs? Well, lucky for us, Jesus addresses this exact question in the, in the Gospel of Luke. Look what Jesus says in Luke. This generation, he's talking about the generation of the religious leaders that he was dealing with. This generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. It seeks for a sign. But no, no one will be given a sign to it except the sign of Jonah. Wow. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment in the future with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something is great, something greater than Jonah is here. What is the sign? It's not love, it's not healing, it's judgment. Why did the Ninevites repent? Because it was a message of judgment. And Jesus says, you know, this evil generation, he's talking about a religious evil generation, by the way. It seeks a sign, but there will be no sign given except for the sign that the Ninevites were given, which is the sign from Jonah, which was judgment. That generation had seen miracles, had they not? Expressions of Christ's love through feeding multitude of starving people. He had done healings, yet most still didn't believe. They witnessed miracles from Jesus motivated by love, resurrections of the dead, Compassion for the lowly. You would think between resurrections and feedings and healings and all that stuff, you would think of all that, that many more would have put their faith in Jesus by that time. But the fact is, they didn't. The number was small. Miracles, church, listen to me, miracles were not enough. Jesus, get this, Jesus is comparing his message to Jonah's. This is merciful, loving, miracle, compassion, Jesus. You know what else he is? He's also condemnation, Jesus. Don't get mad at me. He said it. But there's something about the fear of God. The scripture says it is the beginning of wisdom. <clears throat> Using Jonah to warn of judgment brought a necessary fear of God that led Nineveh to repentance. See, there is, in fact, church, listen to me, and those of you outside the walls listening later on or now live, there is a side of God to be feared. How do you feel about that? That your God is to be feared as well as loved. In fact, there are literally several dozen passages throughout the Bible about fearing God's wrath being the first step of faith. I just have a few today. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's just in Proverbs 1. I skip about six others and go all the way to Proverbs 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What kind of wisdom? Well, we'll find out in a little bit. I'm going to skip about seven more and go to Proverbs 14, 27. <clears throat> the fear of the Lord is a foundation of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Then I'll skip about seven more and go to Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Fact is, messages of miracles and messages of love are never enough to turn a soul to true repentance and confession. Because the scripture says, without fear, there is no wisdom. Without wisdom, there is no faith. Without faith, there is no salvation. In fact, preaching the gospel without warning about judgment actually does a great disservice to the cross because it hides the true cost of mercy and grace. That mountain that Megan was singing about that Jesus moved, when you leave out the part of judgment, it takes the price tag off. But teaching about fearing God isn't a popular message today. In fact, many carry disdain for that part of the gospel. Many churches have not preached a message on God's judgment and the existence of their life. No wonder we have such weak disciples. They don't know what they've been saved from. Okay, let's talk about the personal section. I want to talk about the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> this was the sermon preview, the social media thing I did this week. Should warnings that I did this from the mountains, by the way. So that's why it's so inspirational. Just joking. <laughs> Should warnings about God's judgment be part of our proclamation of the gospel? Let me start off with a verse from the book of Jude, verses 22 and 23. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Hmm. You know, most people are willing to identify with mercy and grace, God. I put that in quotations. That's an easy one to identify with, right? But not many people are willing to say, I identify with judgment and wrath, God. <laughs> we must learn and embrace this truth because, church, there is, legitimate, there is legitimate fear and terror to be had outside of Christ. Jesus says, and whether we, look, either we believe the words of Christ or not, correct? Jesus says judgment and wrath will fall on those who don't embrace the gospel. I'm sorry, that's just what our Lord says. I'd like it to be some other way, because that way I won't get in a bunch of mean comments on the YouTube channel this week. Many churches say they love God and love his truth, but choose to avoid what the Bible declares about the beginning of wisdom. 
fear. <clears throat> in fact, they fear the rejection of men more than they fear the rejection of God. And they quarantine the judgment part of the gospel. Avoiding the warnings of God's judgment, frankly, is a good sign you want God on your terms and not his. Look, if you'd like me to, we could probably have a bigger church if I wasn't as direct as I am. We can neglect it if you want, sugarcoat it, and let me decide each week what words of Jesus are more palatable to the world to hear. We can do that. Actually, no, we can't. See, here's what concerns me. Without the fear of God's judgment, you really can't understand the gift of faith. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 10, and 11. <clears throat> For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Hmm. Some of you with an earshot of this message, either here in this room or online, you've been playing around the edges of faith. I mean, you believe there's a God. You even believe there's a Jesus. You might even believe in the cross and the resurrection. But there's no true repentance in your life. Why? What's missing? I mean, what more does God need to do for you to completely surrender to the gospel? What more do you need? You are living in denial, in denial of the undeniable reality that Jesus has declared judgment is a part of the gospel message. Somehow, you want to get to the point of true, full repentance, but you're still waiting for one more piece to fall into place to convince you it's completely true and worth the trouble. To convince you that full repentance is worth the effort and the cost. What are you waiting for before you buy into full, true repentance? Maybe you want to see a miracle. Perhaps you're waiting to stumble upon one final convincing piece of tangible scientific or archaeological proof, which, by the way, do we not provide many of those here on Sunday morning at Grace Life? Maybe you're waiting for some mountaintop worship experience, some special personal revelation from God, a dream, a coincidence, What's it going to take before you actually fully repent? Look, those things are wonderful. They're powerful. And they can encourage and strengthen our faith. They are awesome. But Scripture clearly says those things don't give us spiritual wisdom. The Scripture says the fear of the Lord brings wisdom. It says it a bunch. It's not just one obscure message. It's all throughout the Old and New Testament. However, once we understand the fear of the Lord, something miraculous happens. We no longer need to fear God. We finally understand the love of God. And now you have the wisdom necessary to fully appreciate those other things that I just mentioned, the miracles, the revelations, 
the excitement, the mountaintop experience, the science, the archaeology. You can have better wisdom to understand those things. They mean more. Look what John the Apostle says in 1 John 4.18. He says there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with what? Punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Let me explain how this works. We learned earlier fear is the beginning of understanding the gospel, correct? But then the perfect love of Jesus casts out that fear of judgment. You see, church, fear of the Lord is one of the most important swimming lessons you will learn from this series on the book of Jonah. Fear of the Lord installs wisdom about how God hates and punishes sin. Fear of the Lord is a spiritual humility which recognizes first that God is judge and second, we are deserving of that judgment. Fear of the Lord is the birthplace of the precious gift of faith. Fear of the Lord is a life-saving revelation. Fear of the Lord is the very first, most important catalyst for full, true repentance and transformation. Fear of the Lord teaches us how much the Father loves his chosen, even willing to endure the cross for them. Fear of the Lord is the grace of God warning you, calling you to safety from his judgment into the arms of his perfect love. Fear of the Lord makes grace and mercy and forgiveness so precious. It brings true joy, true gratitude, and actually true worship. So I ask you again, what are you waiting for? Will you today confess God's right to judge your sin, specifically your sin? Are you today ready to go the extra step and confess his majesty, his holiness, his power to judge, and his power of wrath? See, that's where true spiritual wisdom begins, according to God's word. Only then will you fully comprehend the riches of God's grace and mercy and have motivation and reason for full, true repentance. Until then, you know what your spirituality really is? It's nothing more than a hunt for moments that might distract you from what you truly deserve. That's all it is. Until then... Until you understand the fear of the Lord, you're missing out on the peace and safety of the arms of the Father. That perfect love of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we are people deserving of your judgment. We hear your message. We hear you calling us to faith and repentance 
Lord, we pray that you would use the fear of judgment to give us the spiritual wisdom we need to know what our true repentance will look like. Lord, search our hearts. Know our minds. Tell us if there's any way in us that keeps us from following you. In this story, we want to be Nineveh. Lord, some of us have been playing around the edges of Christianity. Lord, help us to have a greater understanding of grace and mercy by taking us back to the freedom that comes from fearing judgment. Help us to not neglect that part of the gospel. We don't just focus on that part. We know that's only a portion of the message of grace and mercy, but it is a part of it. Lord, give us wisdom to know how to proclaim the fear of the Lord with discernment and understanding, as Corinthians says, to persuade others. Yes, we want blessing. Yes, we want hope. Yes, we want love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness and all those things. But today we confess to you, we recognize we cannot understand the true cost of those until we understand the cost that you had to pay by removing that mountain of judgment that was before us. I pray for hearts today that are struggling with the fear of the Lord that this very moment, the perfect love of Christ would transform that. And Lord, as important as the fear of the Lord is, we're thankful that once we understand the gospel, it's no longer about fear then. Help us to make sure that we don't skip a step. We confess to you today, God, your majesty, your glory, and your privilege to judge sin and sinners. And we ask you for the mercy and grace that you have extended to us through the cross of Jesus. What a terrible price you paid. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, if you are a child of God, you don't have to go in fear today. You can go in the perfect love of Christ. We love you. We're thankful for you. If you need anything this week, let us know. We've got your back. Have a great week.